evening, everyone. It's uh, good to be again in God's house, the last calendar day of uh, 2023, and we're in our last uh, worship service here at Faith Reformed Baptist Church for this calendar year, and uh, it's, it's a good thing, I believe, a good thing to finish out the year in the house of the Lord on the Lord's Day. Uh, uh, many uh, churches, when I was growing up, I don't know if people still do that or not, but they have, they had uh, watch night services where they would go to church a little later on Sunday evening and, uh, or on New Year's Eve and uh, then try to preach and pray all night. And so I thought I would accept that challenge. No, I'm just, just kidding. But, uh, but it is good to be in the Lord's house uh, on the last calendar day of the year. Let's open our copy of God's Word, please, to uh, Mark chapter number 15. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 15. I think I said, uh, put in the bulletin that it, I would start at uh, verse 24, but I I want to start at verse number 15, uh, but let's, uh, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then I have a couple of things to share with you before we get into the reading of the text. Let's pray. Our precious, precious Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in him that we have access, that uh, we don't uh, even, uh, in one sense, have to come in. You've already brought us near to you through the sacrifice of your son. And in Christ, we're seated with him in the heavenlies. We praise you for that. Oh, Lord, and we praise you for the privilege to worship and adore you this evening. I praise you for the wisdom of your word and your uh, plan of salvation, the way you work things uh, according to your own decree, your own plan that was uh, made before the foundation of the world. You uh, uh, worked everything to the point of bringing us unto yourself in saving faith. And, and Lord, we know that uh, you took the initiative, you took the, uh, uh, you, you are uh, first, you loved us first, you sought us first, you worked in us first. And, and uh, so we just... Uh, we, we surrender ourselves to you this evening, and we want to thank you for your son, Jesus. We want to look into this passage of Scripture tonight. We want to be transported back there, at least in the Spirit, and uh, to some degree experience that horrible day yet glorious day when our sins were cleansed. And our Savior died. 
Help us, Lord. Let us see Jesus. Let us see Him. Let us worship Him. Let us glory in all that He has done. And may we end this year doing that. And may we start the next doing the same thing. Worshiping our crucified and risen Savior. In His name we pray. Well, we have come to a point in this, the uh, Gospel of Mark now. We've come to the day. I don't know if you remember or not, but when I was uh, uh, getting to this point, uh, we talked about uh, the uh, psalms that were sung, the Hallel psalms that were sung, uh, at Passover, the Psalms 113 through 115 were sung uh, at the uh, beginning of Passover. And then at the end of Passover, songs, uh, Psalms 116, 17, and 18 were sung. And Psalm 118 and verse number 24 says... This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And, uh, and the scripture says that uh, at the end of that final Passover, that ultimate Passover that Jesus observed with his disciples, they sang a hymn. And went out into the Mount of Olives. It's without doubt, in my mind at least, that that is the hymn that they sang. And it was a hymn uh, that uh, uh, was confirming everything that Jesus had already said. Jesus had already quoted those verses out of that psalm uh, to the uh, religious leaders. And uh, he said, you know, uh, uh, the stone that the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. These are the words just before uh, verse 24 that says, this is the day that the Lord has made. And so it didn't just confirm and back up the words that Jesus said to them, but this is an encouragement to Jesus. Jesus had just gone through this agony in Gethsemane and his flesh, his innocent and sinless flesh revolted against that cup of sin and wrath that was being reached to him, that he must take the sin of man, uh, the sin of his people, and the wrath of God. He, he, he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But they sang that song, and, and Jesus is singing with his disciples, this is the day. Now, a lot of people quote that passage of Scripture for every day, and it's good. We should say it. To, we can say it every day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
but I believe it's speaking of a particular day, and we have arrived at that particular day in the Gospel of Mark. We have arrived to the day that the Lord has made, the day that the Lord has ordained, that Jehovah has ordained. He ordained it before the foundation of the world. This is the day that Jesus had talked to his disciples about, the day that he'd spoken uh, to them of so many times, even on his final journey to Jerusalem. It's the day that had been set as his focal point, the focal point of his entire life. He said the, uh, that he had come to give his life a ransom for many. This is the day that uh, he was focused on in all of his earthly life. The day uh, that was for the blessing of the nations. I thought about John chapter number 12. Uh, what was said there, what Jesus said <coughs> in John chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Well, let me read verse 30. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world is cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. All peoples. He's talking about the nations. This is the day that was established for the salvation of all the peoples of the earth. Not uh, every person without dis uh, distinction, but every kind of people without distinction. This is the day for which he was born. Luke chapter 2 verses 29 through 30 talks about Mary and Joseph going uh, to the temple to offer for him those things that were commanded by the law. And uh, 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 a, a woman by the name of Anna and a man by the name of Simeon met them there. And Simeon uh, began to tell them about what Jesus was destined for. And he said, and there's going to be a sword pierced through your heart or your soul also to Mary. He already uh, knew that Jesus would be for the rise and fall again of many. The day that was written of by the prophets, for example, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, and many other uh, uh, passages of Scripture, uh, some of the passages that we've been studying in uh, the book of Zechariah in the teaching hour, and uh, these are uh, prophecies about this very day. This is the day uh, that was symbolized and foreshadowed by every single sacrifice of every offering under the Old Covenant. Every blood sacrifice was pointing toward this day. Every time a man or a, uh, a family brought a sacrifice 
to the door of the uh, temple and that sacrifice was taken and slain and offered for them. It was a testimony that their sin debt had never really been permanently taken care of. And that uh, they were going to have to keep bringing sacrifice after sacrifice until one day there would be an end to all sacrifices because there would be one eternal acceptable sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the day. It's the day that, uh, that was promised because of the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. When God told the serpent, the devil, that uh, one day the seed of the woman, and he was talking about Jesus, would crush the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise his heel. This is the day that Jesus, from the old rugged cross, would crush the serpent's head. This is the day of our salvation. This is the day of our rescue, of our deliverance, the day of our peace. It's the day of our cleansing as the blood and water flowed from the wounded side of our Savior uh, from, uh, 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 to save us from wrath and, from, uh, and to uh, make us pure, to sanctify us. This is the day when God's uh, full fury and wrath against sin is going to be revealed. If you want to ever know what God thinks about sin, even your sin, look at Calvary. Look at Jesus on the cross. This is the day that was predetermined, the predetermined day that was decreed by the Father even before the foundation of the world. That is deep waters, as uh, I think it was uh, Ezekiel said, it's waters to swim in. To think that God already knew that the fall was going to happen, that God already knew that his people would have to be redeemed. And when he gave a people to the Lord Jesus Christ, he knew that they would have to be uh, redeemed by his blood, his sacrifice on the cross and he decreed it at that time and this is the day this is the day when sin was judged and it's our final judgment isn't that good this is the day of our final judgment when we would stand before God as guilty sinners and the wrath of God would fall upon us. Jesus moved us out of the way, took our place on the cross just as he did for Barabbas and he hung there while the full uh, cup of God's wrath was poured out without measure onto him. This is the day when sinners were judged. The day, it's the day of God's wrath when his holy hatred for sin is put on display, but it's also the day of his love. The day when his love is put on display as in no other way. 
Romans chapter 5. I, don't, I hope you don't mind if I read that, but, but this, is, uh, this is the day. <laughs> I mean, we have come to the day that the Lord has made. Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> well, for some reason, my Bible acts like it don't know where I'm going. Verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, that, that uh, blood that flowed from his body at Calvary, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies... We weren't just sinners. We were enemies of God. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We've been brought into a right Loving relationship with God our Father. This is the day. And so let's begin reading in verse number 15 of Mark chapter 15. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. And he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. We've already gone over this, and so I won't spend much time uh, here. But uh, we do see that Pilate uh, did this to gratify the people. He did not. He was a crowd pleaser. He did not have uh, enough backbone, enough standard. Uh, in his own life to stand up for what he knew to be right. And so <coughs> he thought he was getting out of trouble, that he was washing his hands clean of this uh, dilemma that he had with Jesus, but uh, he was not. And so after he scourged Jesus, we talked about the scourging, what a, a brutal form of punishment that was and how that often uh, the criminal or the victim died uh, under the scourging. And so there's no doubt that he was weakened by it. Then in verse 16, Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and uh, that's uh, like 600 uh, soldiers, everybody that wasn't on duty, brought together, uh, to uh, 
surround Jesus and they clothed him with purple. They had a mock coronation. They clothed him with purple. They twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they began to salute him and, uh, and say, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed. In other words, they took a stick that uh, was uh, maybe supposed to uh, represent his, uh, his royal staff and uh, uh, beat him over the head with it. And this is in the continuous sense. They kept striking him on the head with the reed. They kept spitting on him. They kept bowing the knee and they were worshiping him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus. And uh, Rufus is mentioned over in the uh, book of Romans, chapter number 16. Rufus uh, it was a uh, helper of the apostle Paul. And so obviously everyone uh, knew this man, uh, Simon and Alexander and Rufus. Else uh, it doesn't make sense that Mark would mention them. But uh, as, uh, as Simon was coming out of the country uh, and passing by, they compelled him to bear Jesus' cross. Uh, the, uh, uh, there's a lot of conjecture as to why that was. You know, you see uh, in movie depictions that uh, Jesus fell I think the Catholic Bible uh, says that he fell three times or something. Somehow they've got that, uh, uh, that story that Jesus fell under the load of the cross three times. I, the scripture does not say that. And uh, that was a shock to me many years ago when I found out that the scripture didn't say that. And uh, when I was in Mexico... I would try to uh, talk to people and even uh, people who professed faith in Christ. When you said, uh, you know, Bible don't say that. <laughs> they didn't really like it. And, uh, but, uh, but there's no doubt that Jesus was weakened by the uh, whipping. But they compelled Simon to carry the crossbeam, and probably it was just the upper part, the uh, uh, horizontal piece that he was carrying. <clears throat> but uh, he was compelled to carry the cross. Like, uh, uh, let's see, where am I? And they brought him to the place, Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. Now the wine mingled with myrrh, I think I've already told you, was kind of a, uh, a sedative or a, an analgesic, something to give to kind of help with the pain. Uh, but Jesus didn't accept that. And uh, it, 
seems to me that the reason for that is that he was there to bear all the punishment for our sin. And so he didn't, uh, didn't receive that. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. <clears throat> now, if you read uh, John's account, and uh, I think there's another one of the gospel writers that uh, makes mention of this. Jesus' tunic was a one-piece garment. It was woven from top to bottom. It didn't have any seams in it. And so they uh, parted uh, some of his garments, but that one tunic, they uh, gambled for it. And this is uh, fulfilling another one of those prophecies that uh, the scripture gives uh, that uh, they gambled. And this is in uh, Psalm 22, that they gambled for his garments. And then in, uh, and Mark says in verse number 25, it was the third hour, which would be uh, about uh, nine o'clock. And uh, they put this inscription of his accusation above him, the king of the Jews. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. Mark, uh, again, doesn't mention what Luke does about one of the thieves being uh, saved, but he just tells that there were two robbers uh, that were crucified with him, one on each side, so that the scripture was fulfilled, which says he was numbered with the transgressors. <clears throat> In other words, he was counted as a transgressor. He was uh, uh, <clears throat> seen and treated just as one of them. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads, wagging their heads. This is a, 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 uh, an act of, uh, of contempt, a gesture of contempt uh, for the Lord Jesus, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. And so they're using, uh, taking out of context and getting wrong what Jesus said about uh, his own body, that if he was killed, he would rise in three days. They uh, are uh, taking that wrongly and uh, telling him to come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priest also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, he saved others himself, he cannot save. Now I want to take a few moments to uh, think about that. Because uh, uh, there's some truth and there's some error, but uh, uh, as the people were saying it, it was all wrong. But the uh, first thing I've got to say is that he did save others. They were right about that. He did save others. We've read uh, all through this Gospel of Mark how that uh, uh, many came to him. I can't help but think about chapter 5 when uh, he went to that uh, uh, 
a man in Gadara that was full of demons. And Jesus delivered that man. This man was hopeless. There was, uh, they had tried and tried all his life to bind him and to stop him and to modify his behavior and to get him to behave, but he, they couldn't do it. But Jesus steps out of that boat. He comes running to Jesus, and in a, in a matter of moments, there is a new creature. He's been delivered. And when Jesus was ready to leave, he was ready to go with him. I want to go with you. And Jesus said, stay here and tell your family and your friends about the great things that God has done for you. He saved others. And here's something they were wrong about. That's something they were right about. Something they were wrong about was he could have saved himself. Had he wanted to, had he chosen to, he could have saved himself. He could uh, have come down from the cross. But the problem with that is if he saved himself, he couldn't save us. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Well, if he does save himself, he cannot save the others. And they didn't get this, that the salvation that he provides is not from the physical sufferings of human affliction. That's what they're saying. Come down off the cross. Save yourself from this, this, uh, uh, this suffering, this human feeling of affliction, this pain in your physical body. But the salvation that Jesus gave was not salvation from physical pain. It's salvation of the soul. It's salvation in the spirit, in the innermost part of a person where they're changed out of darkness and into light. As Pastor Russ said today, they come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And the salvation that Jesus offered was a salvation from God's wrath, not from man's wrath, not from the anger and the misunderstanding and the attacks of men, but God's wrath. He could save us from the wrath of Almighty God. <clears throat> well, let me hurry on. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Well, they're liars. They've seen him do mighty works, haven't they? And they didn't believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Of course, uh, Luke Luke tells us that uh, one of those who was crucified with him in uh, chapter 23, verses 39 and following, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. 
But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today, today. You will be with me in paradise. And the sixth hour, back to verse 33 of uh, chapter 15, Mark. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So 9 a.m. or... I don't remember. I think it's... Do you remember darkness, six hours on the cross, darkness uh, to the ninth hour, that's three. So it would be 12 until three. And uh, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now we know that this is a, a, a direct quote from Psalm 22 and verse number one. But listen to what, and, and he said this in uh, Aramaic, and uh, he said, and Uh, verse 35 said, some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he's calling for Elijah. Now, they understood, they understood his language. Why could they not get this? Why did they misunderstand? Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus, now listen to verse 37. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Now I'm using the New King James, but the King James, the original King James, uh, well, it's probably not original, but the King, other King James says that uh, he cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Now, I, uh, I prefer that translation because it uh, implies that he, he gave up the ghost. That is more in line with what Jesus said in John chapter 10 was going to happen, right? In John chapter 10, uh, he said... Uh, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So when Jesus cried, and I, I think it's MacArthur, I looked in one of these notes here, uh, uh, MacArthur says about this, crying loud, that is uh, amazing to think 
that hanging on the cross, and you know that the way that people died on the cross was basically from asphyxiation. They were hanging like this, and uh, they couldn't, they didn't have the strength to raise up enough to get air into their lungs. So for Jesus, at the at, after being on the cross this long, to be able to cry with a loud voice says that uh, they hadn't killed him yet. What his ha and what happened is when he knew that he was through, according to John, he said, it is finished, John 1930, it is finished. And then he cried with a loud voice and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. If he had not surrendered to death, death could never have taken him because it's the wages of sin is death. And death didn't owe him any wages. He didn't have any sin of his own. And so Jesus bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And then the next thing we see in verse number 38, when the veil, then the veil of the temple was torn or ripped in two. That means it was completely separated from the top to the bottom. I read that that's, uh, that was like maybe 60 feet high. And I've heard a lot and I've read a lot about how thick it was. And uh, I, I'm not sure about that, but I do know that it was obvious that someone was not able to tear it. Some human being was not able to tear it. This is something that God did. He tore the veil from the top to the bottom, left it hanging, parted. And you, uh, you say, well, what, what does that mean? Do you know what the veil is that they're talking about? It's the veil that covers the, the most holy place in the temple. So there's an outer court where the sacrifices are made, then there's an inner court where the table of shoe bread and the, uh, uh, the uh, lampstand is, and then there is a, uh, a, uh, a table where the incense is offered, and then there's the curtain, that veil. And that separates the holy place from the most holy place. The most holy place is where God dwelt among his people. That is the place where the offerings, the blood of the, uh, the yearly uh, sacrifice, the yearly atonement was sprinkled inside that place and on the mercy seat. And all that, all that, uh, those trappings, all the, the little hoops that had to be jumped through, all the requirements that had to be met before anyone could go in there, it was all a testimony that said, God is holy and you're not, stay away. 
You can't come in here. Even on the Day of Atonement, the priest could only go in, the high priest could only go in once a year, and he had to do everything right. And so this is a very, very serious thing. It says, God's holy, you are unholy, stay away, stay away, stay away. But when Jesus bowed his head and cried with a loud voice, and gave up the ghost. The veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. And God said, come on in. You and I are welcome in the very presence of God. Well, it's, a, it's, it's a wonderful thought. And, and listen. It's not so much that we have to just, that we have to come in. And I know there's a sense where, uh, was it Hebrews 4, 15, something like that, said we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, because of that, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. We might obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. We can come all the way in to the very presence of God. And so there's a sense in which we come in. There's a sense in which we draw nigh. But listen to this. This is some good stuff right here. Now, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 talks about, he puts a contrast out between the giving of the law on uh, uh, Mount Sinai in verse 18 uh, and uh, uh, down through verse 21. But in verse number 22, he contrasts that. That uh, giving of the law was a fearful thing. Everybody had to stay away. Again, God's saying, I'm holy, you're not. Stay away, stay away. But verse 22, the writer of Hebrews says, but... That word, that's, that means you're changing directions. You're going a different direction. now. But you have come. We're already there. You have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. To an innumerable company of angels. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God the judge of all. To the spirits of just men made perfect. To Jesus the mediator of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We dwell, we live... In the very presence of God. We're part of the new Jerusalem. We're part of the city of God. The Zion, new Zion. Or uh, the Zion of God. Well, I've got a whole bunch more notes here, but... I guess I should uh, find a stopping place. But this is what Jesus has done for us. 
This is what he has done. Now, there's more to come. Jesus bows his head and he gives up the ghost. The uh, veil of the temple is rent. And, uh, but that's not the end of the story. They're going to take a lifeless, limp body off the cross. That bloody, beaten, beyond recognition body is going to have to be handled by several different people because you know how difficult it would be to handle him. He is dead. And they're going to take him to a tomb. And they're going to put him in that tomb. And it's not even his tomb. It's borrowed. Because he's not going to need it very long. He only needs it for three days. And so he's going to be wrapped in those grave clothes laid in that tomb. They don't even have time. Because of the Passover, they don't even have time to anoint the body the way that they would normally do. Thankfully, Mary had already done that in Bethany. And they lay him in that tomb. But aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that that's not the end of the story either? He comes out of the grave. He, he ascends to the Holy of Holies in heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father's throne making intercession for us. And we're in him. <laughs> I don't know how to explain that and make it take hold in our hearts the way it is. But when he arose, we arose. When he ascended, we ascended. And when he was seated in the heavenlies, in a sense of, uh, uh, of position, we were seated with him. And we are part of that multitude that we read about in Hebrews chapter 12. Worshiping him. Well, uh, next next week we'll get back into this and and uh, look at the people who were around the cross and the judgment. You know, I said that this is a place of judgment and it's a day of judgment. But everybody that came there, Jesus even said, you know, I didn't come to judge the world. I came. Uh, uh, I didn't. Came, I didn't come to condemn. The world, but that the world might be saved. But he said, "But uh, when you, when you go to the cross, when you're confronted by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you see a crucified Savior, you are judged. You're judged one way or another. Pilate was judged, and." Uh, <clears throat> uh, those soldiers that beat him, they were judged. They were exposed for what they are. Those soldiers who gambled for his garments, they were being judged. The, <coughs> the passers-by that blasphemed, they were being judged. The religious 
uh, people were being judged, they were being exposed for what they were. And those who uh, said, uh, come down off the cross and then we'll believe, they're being judged. They're being exposed for what they are. Well, I'll try not to preach all that tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you'd take these scattered thoughts and help us with them, Lord. Help us to rejoice in what uh, our Savior has done. To walk with you in the coming year. May we serve you more. May we love you more. May we give ourselves more fervently and passionately to your work for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.